to all of the little girls who are watching this, never doubt that you are valuable and powerful and deserving of every chance and opportunity to pursue and achieve your dreams. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, day of release is Tuesday, March 8th, which is International Women's Day, and I have done something that I thought I would never have to do, and I quoted off the top of the show a quote by Hillary Rodham Clinton, not a fan of the show, uh, if she knew about it, and the show hosts are certainly not a fan of her. Um, but as it's International Women's Day, we thought we'd start off with a quote that in many ways we can agree with. We want... Um, little girls, we want women to know that they are valuable, that they can work to achieve their dreams, that they can work to pursue their opportunities. The challenge with this is the worldview that's behind this quote uh, that Hillary Clinton uh, holds to and so many others as well, one that doesn't just support the killing of preborn children, but actively promotes it. And so what we want to talk about today is International Women's Day and how we as pro-lifers can celebrate women, how we as pro-lifers can respond to International Women's Day and, and some compelling um, and some good advice for us to uh, support and empower the women in our lives as well with the guest that we have on today. Before we get there, my name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And with me again is my wonderful friend and, uh, and fantastic co-host, Cameron. Peter, thank you very much. Um, and yeah, happy International Women's Day to everybody tuning in, whether you are a woman or a fella. Um, yeah, as we're going to dive into in this episode, there is a good way to celebrate International Women's Day, and there is a corrupted way to celebrate International Women's Day. Um, and we want to encourage you to celebrate and um, commemorate this day in a meaningful, productive way that not only actually empowers women, but does so without killing children. And so we're going to get into a ton of that with our wonderful friend, colleague, um, and guest today. Peter, you can you can give her the shout out for who she is and what she does. But Micah Rosendahl has been a good friend of mine um, ever since I, I joined the CSPR community way back when. Um, I've had many phenomenal memories with her and her husband, Nick, as well, um, and their lovely family. And so super excited to be chatting with Micah today. Um, and Peter, tell us a little bit about, about her. Yeah, for sure. Before I do that, Kim, if that's okay, um, for those interested in some merch from the show, you can check us out, prolifeguys.com slash shop to find out some of the uh, merch items that we have to support the show. Kim, before we uh, I, before we uh, introduce Micah, which I want to do briefly, could you give a bit of a synopsis as to what International Women's Day is, sort of a recognized United Nations official day? Uh, what, are we th what are we looking at here for those who know about the day in name? but not really the idea. Yeah, so this was adopted by the United Nations um, in 1977 and put on their calendar for important days to recognize. And there's been a lot of different issues associated with International Women's Day. It actually drew its roots, the, the first ever kind of Women's Day or, or recognition of women in society day uh, dates back to like the 1920s or so when several different socialist communities um, in America, in Europe and whatnot, sought to elevate the status of women within their communities. And so um, I, I know the the idea of being a socialist runs, um, shivers up many of our spines and whatnot. But I think that they were, at the time, trying to achieve, at least in part, some very good things, whether it was votes for women, whether it was equal opportunity within the workplace and other things like that, that when women 
were in a position to flourish and succeed professionally in particular capacities, and they were hindered because of their gender. They were seeking to prevent a lot of that. And so they, they did a lot of work focusing on the contributions that women have made in the workplace, in science, in technology, in art, in lots of different areas, and in the family as well. Feminism used to be very holistic, but since the, the UN has kind of taken a hold of it, I'm not blaming this on the UN, more blaming it on the the um, development or, or should I say um, corruption of the feminism movement. It has become a day to either celebrate abortion access in much of the developed world or bemoan the lack thereof in much of the developing world or in those developed countries that have somehow, I have no idea how, Peter, I don't know if you know how they've developed without abortion access, but somehow nations have developed without abortion access, bemoaning the idea that there are some corners of our world where abortion is not entirely accessible to every woman for any reason, no reason, through all nine months of pregnancy. This has become kind of the, the center stage focus for many on International Women's Day. And so we thought that it'd be appropriate to, like I said earlier, talk about the beauty of International Women's Day, talk about the corruption of International Women's Day, and talk about how you as our audience, as part of society, as people who are trying to transform culture, can be a part of actually empowering women without the slaughter of children. That's right. And that's why we have our conversation today with our good friend and colleague, Micah Rosendahl. She's a colleague of ours at the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, became a staff member in 2012. So she's been here a decade now. She's one of CCBR's speakers, uh, internationally acclaimed, um, a fantastic speaker who travels um, to, uh, yeah, to share pro-life apologetics and more. She is uh, the wife to uh, another friend of ours, Nick, uh, and they have a number of children. I don't know if she wants me to tell everyone about her children, but she has children. Um, Micah, in 2009, received a Bachelor of Social Work from the University of Calgary. Uh, she worked for the Lethbridge and District Pro-Life Association. And then in 2011, this is pretty cool, Micah joined a pro-life delegation to the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women in New York. I also don't really know what that means, which means I'm going to be asking that right <laughs> off the top to learn a little bit more. Uh, Micah's been uh, a stalwart in the pro-life movement, defending pre-born children, equipping others to be active in the movement and uh, and raising up the next generation uh, to do so as well. So we're excited about our conversation with Micah Rosendahl. Micah, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today. You're welcome. Yeah, to kick things off, I'm really curious about what it means to be a delegate to the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? For sure, yeah. So in my case, it meant that I attended a United Nations event on behalf of Family Watch International. Um, so that's an international nonprofit um, that, as the name indicates, advocates on behalf of the family. And um, they basically want to draw attention to that. It's the fundamental unit of society. And so this specific organization does a lot of work on the policy level. So what they do is they attend United Nations events. They provide research and briefs and they host events um, for policymakers. They do lobbying, that kind of thing. But then as a delegate, you go in and you receive some training and then you're instructed to go to certain events, but they're usually what they call side sessions. 
So the UN has their main meetings and their events, and the delegates go to the side sessions to keep an eye on what's going on there, what kind of discussions take place, um, what kind of ideas are being discussed even um, to put forward as policies in the future. And then the delegates report back to this organization. So that's what I did for Family Watch. Um, and then the Commission on the Status of Women, which relates to today's topic, um, is is an intergovernmental body, but it's completely dedicated to gender equality and the empowerment of women. So it holds a two-week session uh, annually in New York, and then UN member states attend and these kinds of organizations attend. And that seems really high level, but really what's discussed um, has an impact on policies in our own countries again, and then our day-to-day lives. So it was a really great opportunity to be part of that and to report back to Family Watch what kind of ideas were being discussed at the United Nations level. That's super cool, Micah. And and I'd be interested just in what your experience was like there. I, I know that, to be honest, when I hear of the UN and what the UN is up to, sometimes I, I just kind of roll my eyes and shake my head. And and yet I've, I've heard from a lot of people that have had really interesting experiences going and listening or advocating or whether I've, I've known people that have gone to even protest different kind of policy discussions and whatnot. What was your experience like there? Was it kind of a an eye-opener, this is actually valuable and interesting? Did you find it a bit of a, a fool's errand? What, what was your experience like there? Yeah, so I think that I felt the same way uh, as you going in, Cam. You know, you think you're going to the United Nations, and it's definitely impressive when you stand, you know, in front of the building that you've seen on pictures, and you see the row of flags, and uh, you go through security, and you show your, your badge saying, you know, that you can go in. Um, and just even some of the main sessions that I wasn't allowed to go in, but just seeing them from the outside was really impressive. But then what at the same time struck me was that a lot of these discussions are actually being held on a very small scale. So some of the side sessions I went to, there was just some representatives from member states, there were some organizations, and they would be talking about things relating to sexuality and um, abortion. And there was really just a small group of people discussing things. So it was also encouraging at the same time um, that it was possible to make a difference if you're there, if you're able to have a seat at the table, observe what's going on, and then you know put forward ideas. Yeah, and that's what we want to talk about today, Micah, as we think about International Women's Day, something that is celebrated, uh, I think, around the world, in many, many places around the world. It's an official day of the United Nations. And, um, and we're going to get into some of the details and, and what International Women's Day means for a culture like ours. But to kick things off, Micah, is it important? Uh, I'd love to ask you, is it important to have a day specifically recognizing women? And if so, why so? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So some people might respond with a why? Why do we need a special day recognizing women? Whereas others might jump at that question and, and say, yes, of course, it's important. We need one for women. So that might have to do with a person's own experiences um, or beliefs. And, and just thinking about that, um, preparing for the podcast, I could actually go both ways on that. Um, and here's why. So on a deeper level, I'm thinking about how men and women are uniquely created and yet have equal value in the eyes of our creator. So recognizing that truth will bring us so much good already. So we don't need a specific day to know that. Um, but at the same time, we also live in a broken world. And so there are specific challenges for both men and women, uh, unique challenges. So in that respect, women are often disproportionately affected. 
So if we think of illiteracy, of maternal mortality rates, of domestic violence, human trafficking, poverty, prostitution, those kinds of things, um, many of the poorest households globally are headed by women and they often earn less than men or they live in societies where women have less rights in terms of owning the land, for example. So those are real challenges that women have to face. So I would say that if a day dedicated to those kinds of issues helps, I'm definitely not opposed to that. But if it's once a year and that's all, then I think there's no point. So to use an analogy, I mean, we recently had Valentine's Day. If just on that day we think about, you know, the meaning of love and um, we think about St. Valentine and what he did for love and marriage, but that's all, then that's pretty sad. But if that day can remind us of the importance of love and the true meaning of love, then I think that day serves a good purpose. It's the same with the March for Life, right? If that's the only event we do as a pro-lifer all year long for pre-born children and women facing uh, unexpected pregnancies or unwanted pregnancies, then again, what does that say about our pro-life convictions? But that day can also energize and motivate us to make a difference all year long. So what matters is what we do um, from day to day. So that's kind of a lot to your um, question. I did look up, by the way, if there's an International Men's Day, um, and it turns out that there is. It's November 19, but it's not on the United Nations calendar of internationally recognized days. Um, they do have a World Yoga Day, though, in case there's any <laughs> listeners interested in that. So, so again, going back to your question, it kind of makes it hard to know whether it's worth observing these days, you know, personally in our own lives, because some of those internationally recognized days, I think, also devalue the meaning of significant days, like International Holocaust Remembrance Day. So, you know, long answer, there's pros, there's cons. I think it can be helpful to have a day set aside to draw our attention to something important, such as the value of women and the challenges that women face, um, as long as that's not all and it's within the right framework. Absolutely. I think that's such a valuable look at it of what are we doing? Like, what is our reason behind it? And what are we doing with it? I, I think even in my own life, I a little bit different. I, I think about how we kind of honored Mother's Day and Father's Day within my my family growing up. Right. And we, we, we had to kind of take stock of ourselves when I was a teenager, because it felt like every year on Mother's Day, my dad would would order like a pickup truck of dirt for the garden. And every day on Father's Day, we would go mini golfing. And it, it just didn't <laughs> quite feel right that that like, oh, yay, my mom loves gardening. Therefore, we're going to give her a whole bunch of dirt and she can work in the garden all day. But my dad gets the day off. And, and we were able to take stock of like, what are we actually trying to accomplish with these days? And I think I think your analogy um, is is phenomenal. And so bearing that in mind of what International Women's Day could be, let's talk about what it has become. Because I think that for many people, this has kind of become a, a day to beat the drum for abortion access worldwide and and that our, our support of women, especially in developing nations and whatnot, is, is contingent upon abortion access. And I, I wonder in your mind, what are some of the factors that have led International Women's Day from a day focused on trying to get votes for women or trying to get equal um, respect and dignity within the workplace, within society, within the family. What factors have, have contributed towards shifting from that towards a day that is really for many people focused on, quote unquote, reproductive rights and abortion access worldwide? Right. So some of the early objectives, um, even as pro-lifers, we could get on board with. Right. Um, but it seems that in countries where 
even some of those early goals were accomplished, we're, we're not content to stick with that and something else has come in place of it. But then even the initial object- objectives, though, of International Women's Day included reproductive rights already, which is typically just a, a euphemism for abortion, right? So I don't think that it's a large shift what we're seeing today. I think we're just seeing it more clearly now. And the reason why we see so much activity around abortion is because of the probability of the law being overturned in the U.S. and because of states um, passing pro-life laws. So um, we've heard it ourselves at activism, right? We've we've met angry, older pro-choice activists who can't believe they still have to make the case for abortion. They thought they did that 40 years ago and they were done. And now here they are on the streets talking to young people who are against abortion. So those are often people who won't engage. They're not reasonable. um, They're just digging in their heels. So we see some of that going on. Abortion supporters in the U.S. are going hardcore in response to the success of the pro-life movement in their own country. And then other countries often follow their lead. So we see that happening around the world as well. So I don't think that it's a huge shift in um, what International Women's Day was originally about. Um, it is obviously a shift from what the early feminists were about, but but that's a, a different story. Yeah, Micah. So um, along those lines, when we look at an issue like abortion, we see it as the destruction of human life. We see it having negative consequences on women, be it their, their mental health, uh, sometimes physical. And I know there are many women who say there are no consequences for them. Um, but for some, there are uh, most certainly and their testimonies are out there for anyone willing to find them. I also think about, um, uh, Cam and I did an interview, not an interview, a conversation about a Saturday Night Live discussion where Cecily Strong came out as Goober the Clown and she said, uh, she made this comment about her being in this position because she had her abortion. I think about Michelle Williams uh, when she received a Golden Globe several, several years ago, credited the opportunity to get that Golden Globe to uh, her opportunity to have an abortion as well. And so I wonder from a woman's perspective and, and looking at where we are right now with this this idol of abortion being the one golden calf that you cannot touch or one of one of many, I guess, but one of the key ones. Why do you think abortion is in, in people's minds so necessary for the empowerment of women and the ability for them to achieve their life goals? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think you can answer that from many different angles. So we obviously know some of the examples that you just mentioned, which often feel very sad to me that someone celebrates their success mentioning their abortion. But if we would just look at it from um, a practical level or at a practical level first, I think that women often feel like they need abortion in order to be successful or to be empowered or to achieve their life goals because there are real obstacles to having children while going to school or while holding a job. So it's possible. There are lots of really inspirational stories about women who've done that, but it's hard, especially if you're facing financial difficulties or you're alone or, you know, your partner threatens to leave you if you don't have an abortion. So it feels like you need abortion. Um, Or maybe if you don't know anyone else who's had a baby while in your position, Um, I mean, we've seen that in university, right, where students say nobody else has a baby in university. Then there's the fact that adoption is stigmatized. I mean, as a um, someone with training in social work, I've had conversations with women who were pregnant, who were considering their options and who would say, I could never give away my baby. And at the same time, they were considering having an abortion. 
So abortion is socially accepted. It's often encouraged. Um, pregnancy and a baby are out of the ordinary in many of those settings. I know that from, um, you know, marrying pretty soon after being done my bachelor's and then sometimes going back to campus, either as a speaker or just to join friends for pro-life activism and being pregnant. And people often did a double take. He didn't see a lot of pregnant women on campus. So, so, so there's that as well. Um, and to be fair, we know this as parents ourselves, children do mess with your life. I mean, it's no longer our schedule. It's their schedule, right? So um, it changes the priorities in our lives. And that's something people have to face, which is which is really difficult, especially when you don't have a support system. So when abortion is considered an option, then that's a good way out of such a difficult situation. So that's on a personal level. People feel like they need that. But then from a broader perspective... I think it's the narrative that abortion is the answer to to everything. I'm, I'm sure you guys have had conversations with people where it's like, well, what else are they going to do? It seems like we don't need to find a real solution if we have abortion. Yeah, I, I find that super interesting, Micah. And I feel like I hear it not only at like the really high level from mainstream media and newspapers and whatnot, but also at the street level that if people feel like abortion is kind of the the great reset button or the, the fix everything. It's your great get on a jail free card. And I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I would say the same thing that I've experienced that in many conversations also, you know, in debates and, and different encounters. Um, it kind of makes me think of an encounter I had with Dr. Jill Greer. So she was the former director of International Planned Parenthood. And she was at the Commission for the Status of Women and a speaker at one of the side sessions that I went to. And so she talked about all the difficulties that women all over the world face and then said, this is why we need abortion. So basically what you're just saying, that that's the answer. So at the end, I wanted to, to basically raise my point that how does abortion fix any of those things? So I stood up and I introduced myself and then I said, you know, Dr. Greer, many of the things that you're describing I've seen in my own life. I was raised in Nigeria. Um, I didn't add that I was a missionary kid. I just said I lived in Nigeria. <laughs> um, you know, women in our village often died during childbirth. Um, we didn't have health care that we needed. And so I listed a few of those things and she was nodding and many of the people on the panel and around me were nodding. And then I said, and so my question for you is how will abortion solve all of those problems that women face? And suddenly it was like the whole room froze. <laughs> and she was like, well, obviously women need abortion. And that was it. And it was like, next question. <laughs> and it was such a powerful moment um, in my mind because our common ground was that we recognized all of those problems. And then when I questioned how abortion would address those issues, there was actually no answer. And it was because she had just made the leap time and again to that, uh, we need abortion, obviously. And I mean, that's kind of the point that um, Obianiju Ikeocha makes, right? Like she's the, the Nigerian author of the book, Target Africa. And um, I, she wrote this letter to Melinda Gates once. And she often talks about this where she says, um, how is abortion or how are condoms or how are, you know, the, the sex ed lessons you're going to teach your children? How will they help poor children? How will they help illiterate women? How will they bring clean water to our villages? And um, that was just, I think, a very telling moment where 
there was no reasoning. There was no argument for why abortion was a solution to any of those problems. It just, we obviously just need abortion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that is such the wild approach that, yeah, like I said, we, we hear on the streets every day too, that, that you've got all these problems. How does, how does abortion actually clean our water? How, how does abortion actually provide doctors with the training that they need um, to perform surgery safely? Things like that, that, that we feel like this is our great um, fix everything, our silver bullet to the ills of, of society. And, and yet, like you mentioned, that, that just doesn't seem to connect at all for, for people that, that they'll try to fast track their personal agenda, political agenda under whatever mantle they need of, of, oh yeah, everyone wants clean water. Let's, let's usher some abortion in there because that's what we're really aiming for. It feels like, um, but changing gears a little bit, Mike, I'd, I'd love to, to mine a little bit deeper into this question of success. We talked about a few um, kind of examples that in popular culture and media of people who have defined success by career ambition and awards and, and whatnot. And I, I wonder what your thoughts are on what I think is the narrowness of success. And what I mean by that is that I feel like for a lot of people, success is defined by what we decided in like grade eight to be our career ambitions, whether that's being an astronaut or a doctor or a nurse, whatever it may be. And then we feel like anything that hinders us from that goal, any substitute for that end product is, is failure. This idea that if I don't become a doctor and I become an architect or a nurse or stay-at-home parent or, or whatever means that I've failed in my ambition. I wonder what your thoughts are in general, but also maybe on a personal note on the value of having a, a dynamic approach to success, that this is something that may look different at different seasons of life, at different times, with different information or with different life kind of factors. What are your thoughts on that narrowness of success within your own life and and generally speaking, I guess? Yeah, that, that's really interesting, Cam. I think that in a sense, um, in the age of social media, we can all find our tribe and feel affirmed in who we are or in which way we identify or whatever we're doing, whether, you know, there's like a, a hashtag um, hot mess mom. And it doesn't matter if you didn't get dressed that day or didn't do your hair or your house is a mess. It's fine. There's lots of moms out there who are like that. Um, so, so in a way, uh, social media maybe has broken through that a little bit, although it also adds pressure again. So, um, I don't know where that leaves us, but at the same time, yeah, I think you're right that there is increasingly narrow parameters, um, even for what's normal. And then from there, what's success? So if you were to picture, you know, mainstream success, I don't think it's a mom in a minivan. Um, but I don't think I'm very in tune with what mainstream society defines as success. And, and I don't really care, to be honest. But I do find it ironic that the crowd that thinks of themselves as open-minded actually has pretty narrow definitions in this regard. Why couldn't a mom who manages her family and household well be considered successful? I mean, I'll take tips from her, how she does it well. Um, but I also think that as a society, once we devalue the simple but the profound things of life, so faith, relationships, family, um, work, that those kinds of things, we, we become people who are always on the hunt for something to replace the contentment that we could find in those simple but profound things. And, and I would say that that applies to both men and women, right? So that's not only for, for women since we're talking about that. But um, 
it's good to be aware though that we all have a standard of success. So since you were asking about like my personal experience, um, yeah, if you have a very defined picture of what success looks like once something gets in the way, the question is, what do you do, right? So um, in my personal experience, though, I grew up in a family where post-secondary education was normal. So that's just what you did after high school to to use the talents that God gave you. And um, if you couldn't, then you would take the courses to be able to do that, right? Then I moved to a community where it was far more common for young women to have a job after high school and then to get married young. So if your definition of success is getting letters behind your name, I have a few, not many, but, you know, I got some. But if your definition of success is, you know, how clean your house is and how much money you have in your bank account or um, how good the food is that you bring to the community potluck, I'm not doing very well in the success department. So, so, so again, what is success? Well, that's where I think that the Christian perspective is the great equalizer because we have different talents, all of us, but we're all created in God's image. And I might be great at what I do, you know, on a certain day, but without Christ, what I do doesn't count for anything. And actually we're all failures but the good news is that there's redemption. So when we look at society's definition of success and sometimes even our own human definitions of success, um, aside from the scriptures, those are always limited until we let ourselves de- be defined by how God sees us. So now we, when we bring it back to International Women's Day, I would say that, you know, whatever we're doing, success comes in many different ways. So it's not necessarily what you do but how you do it. And I do think we miss that perspective a lot in society. Mike, I, I have to correct you in one spot. I have tasted your food before. And if you're coming to a potluck that I'm at, um, you most certainly can bring it. And I will most certainly enjoy the food that you bring. Um, <laughs> oh, thank but this, you, Peter. <laughs> but, but this leads to a question as we, um, yeah, as we're in International Women's Day, we're going to be bombarded with particular messages from uh, the likes of Planned Parenthood or uh, uh, Joe Biden's White House or our bold and courageous, honorable Justin Trudeau, uh, the great feminist defending all women in this country. We're going to get specific <laughs> understandings of what International Women's Day is from them and how we ought to um, celebrate and think about it and all of that. But in light of what we've been talking about, and as all of our listeners, um, I would imagine, understand of what abortion really is, I wonder... How can uh, International Women's Day be leveraged towards actually honoring, supporting, and empowering women without killing children? People often use those words um, to support children, uh, killing children, to support abortion, that it's it's an aspect of women's empowerment. It's an aspect, this is how we support women. But, um, I mean, your example with Dr. Uh, I don't know what the doctor's name Dr. was. Dr. Greer, yeah. Dr. Greer, that was a, a fantastic example. So, so how can International Women's Day be leveraged so that we can actually support women and empower them uh, without supporting the killing of their children? Yeah, I think that the momentum of the day can be used, um, especially on campus and online, to expose what much of the terminology around abortion actually stands for. So we can call it reproductive rights, but do we have a right to kill our children? Um, killing is not caring. If we're talking about empowering women, how does that empower women? So um, we could talk about what the early feminists like, you know, Susan B. Anthony stood for. They certainly opposed abortion and they sought to address the root causes 
that drive women to abortion. So I would say that if the people around you are celebrating International Women's Day, if you're online and you're seeing that, I think it can be a great opportunity to have conversations, um, to find common ground, because we too are in favor of empowering women. Um, But take that further. So ask questions. What does that actually mean? Do you think it includes abortion? How does it honor a woman's ability to conceive, sustain, and give birth when we don't support her in doing exactly those things? But instead, we encourage her to suppress those things, and then if she does get pregnant, to kill her child. So like other opportunities, I think we can use it to bring the conversation back to abortion to talk about you know, really caring for women and their children. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that is obviously what, what we're dedicated to in the pro-life movement, right, of actually supporting mothers and fathers. I, I had the opportunity to be um, speaking to, to some high school kids a couple of weeks ago in British Columbia. And that was a major point of, of realizing that there are a ton of problems, as we've talked through this episode, that there are a lot of challenges and stumbling blocks that have been laid intentionally or unintentionally by society um, for women around the world. And and I think it's so important to end on a note of kind of concrete action. What what can we be doing to actually empower the people in our lives, whether it's men empowering women, whether it's women empowering each other, whether it's society as a whole? I wonder if, if there's one or two kind of concrete action steps. And I know this ties directly to what you had just said, but um, within our daily lives, what could an action step or two be that we take towards the true empowerment of the women in our lives, whether we're men, whether we're women, whatever we may be, how do we empower the people around us, I guess? Right. So I would say that as pro-lifers and as communities, I think it's really important that we truly respect women for who they are. So part of who we are is the inherent ability to have children. Now, I recognize that people face the hardship of infertility. So not everyone has the actual ability to have children, but inherently we're designed to be able to have offspring. And we'll never truly empower women until we acknowledge and respect that. So that's kind of broadly speaking still, obviously. Um, As communities, and I would say especially Christian communities, I think it's important that we realize that women are unique. Even as Christian communities, we can sometimes have narrow definitions of what it means to be a woman. And I think that can be hurtful and sometimes even harmful. So I'm grateful that my daughters um, can learn from different women around them. I mean, we obviously read about great examples in history, um, but also that they can see different women around them, single women, married women, women who study and get PhDs, women who are married but are childless and serve other people, women who are married and serve their families and their and their children and their communities. So, so there's obviously a very broad way um, that we can see women, especially on International Women's Day, but then very specifically as individuals, I would say that it's important that we recognize that many very little women Um, It's a book we read as a family. (laughs) Um, You know, female babies in the womb are in danger, not only, um, you know, of having no opportunity for education or, you know, clean water or many of the things we've talked about, but in danger of not even being able to live. And so how can we empower women? I think we look around us for opportunities to make a difference for those who are in danger of, of exactly that. 
So that's women who are considering having an abortion, but that's also to preborn children who need our voice. So I would say look around, uh, connect with us or, or see if there's, you know, uh, an activism group in your area that you can join up with or even just start by learning more about these things. So, you know, how to advocate for women, how to advocate for the preborn, how to make a difference for uh, people in different uh, in difficult situations and um I think that's obviously much more than just doing it on that one day of the year, but that's, you know, the whole year, right? Every day there's something small that we can do, whether it's um, praying, whether it's reaching out to someone around us, whether it's doing activism, there's always work to be done. Love it. Awesome. Micah, thank you so much for taking the time for talking about International Women's Day, for providing those concrete examples um, and, and ways that we can recognize and empower and support the women in our lives. Thank you for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. That is Micah Rosendahl, friend of ours and a colleague in the pro-life movement. Cam, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us, sir? Yeah, a couple. I uh, I mean, a huge shout out to Micah, just a wonderful, wonderful human being, a, a lovely colleague. And, and I think that she has a very good and balanced approach for what does success and flourishing really look like for individual people. Um, and, and that that can change and that that's okay to change and that we want to help people success where they're at kind of in the moment um, without killing children. I think that she had a beautiful approach on that. It, it makes me think, shout out to anyone who's a Stan Rogers fan. Um, I know that I've mentioned Stan Rogers on the show before, um, but the song Lock Keeper about a fella who keeps a lock. Um, I don't know if it's on the St. Lawrence or somewhere else, um, but he's he basically a stay-at-home guy that, that has a growing family, and he talks to a friend of his who's an international traveler, and they go back and forth in their perception of success. And I think it's a beautiful reflection. I think it dovetails very nicely with what uh, Micah was saying. And I, I think as well, I love Micah's call to action towards the end. I think that, I mean, especially the the very thin silver lining from this COVID lockdown is that we've actually put a lot of infrastructure in place to be able to better support people who have different life circumstances. You think about how technologically fluent so much of society is now and how we could leverage this towards supporting pregnant moms in high school, university, so they can continue their education at distance through a plethora of um, online interactive and dynamic forums, whether it's um, being able to work from home and pursue per, uh, professional careers while working from home and caring for children, flexible hours, flexible days, flexible office time, all that kind of stuff. We have been forced to cultivate a lot of this, in, this infrastructure. And I think that this is a beautiful opportunity for us to take what has been a very, very challenging couple of years and leverage it towards how do we how do we support and empower people who may not be able to fit the cookie cutter office job, who might not be able to fit the research position or, or professional capacity that they may be able to do so without children so that we can allow people to flourish regardless of whether they have children or not? I think that's what we're aiming for. And I love Micah's um, point on this can't just be one day. Let's not just try to empower the women in our lives and the women around the world just on a single day. Let's allow this kind of remembrance day. The remembrance seems kind of kind of negative and, and like a whole bunch of women died. And obviously there are a whole bunch of women dying. I digress. This is not a, a commemoration of all the women who have died necessarily. This is a day for us to reflect on the women in our lives and around the world. Allow this to transcend the day and go all year round, all lifetime, so that we are empowering everybody that we can to flourish 
without killing children. Those are just a few of my thoughts, Peter. Anything that you want to add or are we wrapping up now? No, let's wrap it up, sir. That is really good. Thank you so much for those thoughts. For those who want to get uh, involved in the pro-life movement, we have a take action tab. I think it's a get active tab tab on our website, prolifeguys.com. You can find it there. Um, reach out to us, connect with us, be part of the movement to defend and protect preborn children. If you want to reach out to us for any reason, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or our website, prolifeguys.com. Um, there's the merch shop. And if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash prolifeguys. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. And we hope you tune in again next time. Mm-hmm.